This morning we'll be reading God's Word from Malachi chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, and Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Your words have been arrogant against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his charge and that we have walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the arrogant blessed. Not only are the doers of wickedness built up, but they also test God and escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard it. And the book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteemed his name. They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On that day that I prepare my own possession, and I will spare them as man spares his own son who serves him. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and evildoers will be chaff. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave you neither root nor branch. But for you who fears my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. You will tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day in which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Eric, for that reading. It's certainly appreciated. We are now fast approaching the end of Malachi. This Sunday and next Sunday, and we will be done um, with this prophet. The last prophet of the... Well, the last prophet for approximately 450 years there will be a certain silence that will happen for the nation of Israel when we hit the end of these words. The prophet has told them that there will be one that is coming that will announce the way of the messenger, the the one that will come suddenly into the temple. We, We talked about that. We know that that is Jesus, that the that the the prophet is talking about, the one that will come suddenly into the temple, the one that will announce him coming is John the Baptist. We'll be speaking more about him next week, the another Elijah, the John the Baptist. This book, this prophecy has been filled with admonition to the priests of Israel to the ones that are supposed to be the representatives of God 
to the nation of Israel. To the point that there is, that they even said that, that God even said that I will spread refuge, dung on your faces because of what you're doing. You are that far away from following me, being obedient to me, the ones that are supposed to be obedient. You're that far away that this is what will happen to you. We have built through five other disputations to this sixth one. And I know it's a little bit, it's on the long side. But it's better to deal with this as one whole passage rather than breaking it up over two weeks or even three weeks. We can look at this, what is going to be, what, what I'm going to continue to preach through today, as a, almost like a play in three, three parts of a play. You're going to see three different views that are here. Uh, three different scenes that are going to be talked about. All broken into three different verses that we get into. But the priests, the ones even last week that John dealt with, the, 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 where the, the tithing and the offering for this theocratic nation, right? A, a, a nation under God, truly under God. God is the head. That they weren't even following the, the orders and ordinances when it came to tithing and offering. God even challenged them to actually follow those ordinances and see what happen, will happen for you. Yet there is silence there. We certainly can't miss the, the point that I spoke about two weeks ago, where we can't miss the fact that God is speaking to them. That God is telling them what the problem is. That God is warning them that they need to come back. They need to get on the pathway. They need to see what it is to be obedient. They are far gone, but God is still telling them and warning them and, and giving them the opportunity, showing them what it is that they should be doing. But they have been consistently disobedient. So the three parts that we're going to deal with are going to be the lost, the found, and the end. We could say the end of all things, too at the end there. But that's what we're going to see here in these verses in Malachi. Verse 14, or excuse me, 13 of Malachi chapter 3. And I'll just say this as an aside too. Uh, when we look at Malachi, uh, this is one of those things, I think I said it way back in the beginning when we started this book, that in reality the uh, uh, how it's broken down into chapters mean, uh, for a large part, mean nothing. Uh, it is it is better. You can see the way that I have it, that I have it broken up in here is is the easy way to see this disputation. Uh, the the fact that it's spread out in our English translation over two different chapters. Uh, don't pay attention to that. But it says there in thirteen, your words have been arrogant against me. In reality, I mean, it says. In the Hebrew, your words have been strong against me. The words of the priests against the Lord have been arrogant, strong, uh, disobedient, uh, recalcitrant. Uh, whatever word you want to give, they have been uh, uh, the, the arrogance that the priests have spoken against the Lord. The Creator. How the creature has spoken to the Creator have been hard-hearted. They've been shown that they are malcontents. 
they have shown that they don't believe the Word of God that has come to them. That they perhaps don't even believe or consider all that God has done through their history. If we were to stop right there, we, we, could, we could go for a, a week or two just preaching on that. Your words have been arrogant against me. We sometimes suffer from that same thing, which I'll address in a little bit. But all the things that they do speak against the God that they are serving. Now, they are serving this God improperly. They are serving the triune God improperly uh, with outright thinking, with outright behavior, without correct obedience And we would say to ourselves, because of their actions, because of what they're doing, uh, because of how they're acting here, do they even know who God is? Or is God become so distant to them because maybe uh, they're not getting the responses they want. Maybe they're not seeing what they want to see. Maybe their lives aren't what they think they should be. Maybe it's their pride that's a problem. But your words have been strong against me, says the Lord. Says Yahweh. Your words have been arrogant against me, says Yahweh. The way you're speaking about me is completely in error, says the Lord. And the way that they speak about the Lord betrays what they believe about the Lord. And then they have the gall or the nerve to say, yet you say what they say. The priests say, what have we spoken against you? We have looked and we have examined all that we have done and we see nothing wrong with what we've done. We've looked and and we asked people, what we have said, is there anything wrong with that? Nope, we don't see anything wrong with that. We don't see what you're seeing, God. We don't see how we have wronged you, God. We don't see how we have spoken arrogantly against you, God. Blindness in their eyes. They are blind to what they are doing. This is in the danger of hard-heartedness is here too, right? That they have been on such a pathway for so long that they don't even see what the issue is. The fact of the matter is the issue has been constantly pointed out in this short prophetic book to them. Do they even know God? Verse 14 says, You have said it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept His charge? Now let's not even think about the fact that they haven't even kept His charge correctly. They have been disobedient in the way that they serve the Lord. Remember they're bringing these lame and blind sacrifices or accepting those lame and blind sacrifices. They're not following the uh, the theocratic uh, uh, laws of regard to tithing and offering. The things that they do are wrong and they're arrogant in what they're doing there. And then they say, then they have the gall, the nerve to say, what is the, uh, it's vain to even serve you, Lord. It's vain to even be obedient to you, Lord. It's vain to even follow your rules, Lord. It's vain to follow the laws, Lord. Why should we follow those? What do we get out of them? They're in very tenuous ground that they're standing on. And the Lord is being very generous by pointing out to them that, of where they're standing at, of what the problem is. But they're saying it's worthless to serve the Lord. It's worthless to serve the Creator. 
it's worthless to consider what God has given in His Word for them to be obedient towards. All of the disputations up to this point speak about their worthless attitude towards God, about how they are treating their Creator. Psalm 14, let me back up for a second. So they're almost acting like there is no God. And then Psalm 14, verse 1, it says, A fool says in their heart, there is no God. Their actions are acting like there is no God. They're saying it's vain to serve the Lord, so there mustn't be anything within serving the Lord or following His rules or or following the, the, the things that He's called them to obedience to. They have forgotten all those things that have occurred in the past, how God has saved them, even though they didn't deserve it. Right? The least of all the nations. How God in His providence, how in His sovereignty, has, has punished them to bring them back. Even though they have followed foreign gods multiple times, on countless ways, consider, for example, that Moses is literally gone for a total 40 days. They have seen what God has done to rescue them out of slavery from the Egyptians. They have crossed through a a miraculously parted sea on dry ground. And within a 40-day period of time, they they have created a golden calf and said, this is our God. Yet God still draws them back to them. He is a gracious and a loving God, consistently. And gracious and loving in pointing out what they're doing here that is wrong. But they are essentially saying that there is no God. There there isn't a God worth serving. There isn't a God worth worshiping. Uh, We're just going through the motions. Bring whatever you can for offering, whatever. He's not even going to care. It says here, it is in vain that we have kept His charge. Psalm 73. Psalm 73. We've talked about Psalm 73 before. You should highlight it in your Bible. It's, it, it, the Psalms always talk to us. Uh, Martin Luther would say that. John Calvin would say to that. The Psalms talk to us not only as, as those of the Old Testament talk to us as, as believers today. But Psalm 73 uh, points, a, a, points a picture of, of this and you know, we want to we want to we want to talk about those emotions that, that come into this. So they're saying it's vain to serve the Lord. Why would they say something like that? Uh, why are they going to say in 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 the verse that we're going to come up uh, up to us that the arrogant are blessed and the uh, the doers of, of wickedness are built up and they escape God? Uh, why does this come about in Psalm seventy three? Uh, the writer there, probably a priest himself, gives us a pretty good picture of what that looks like of why, how these thoughts get into our minds, it says there in verse uh, Psalm 73, verse, um, verse 1, it says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. A true statement. The Lord is good to those who are pure in heart. But quickly the psalmist changes his viewpoint. In verse 2 it says, But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My feet and my steps had almost slipped. We can almost picture this priest standing upon the, 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 the walls of the temple looking out upon the city. And something that he is viewing is causing him to stumble, to slip. 
He knows that the Lord is good to those who follow the Lord. The ones that fear God. Yet something is causing him to slip. And what is it? Verse 3, I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there were no pains in their death and their body is fat. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. Lord, I serve you. I, I, I do the things that are necessary. I believe in your word. And look, how are these people continually prospering? How are these evildoers continually prospering? You can see. You can almost understand. Maybe you can even understand from your own viewpoint. I love you, Lord, but why is it that these people at work seem to get ahead that are the most miserable, wicked people that I know? Why is it these these people that don't even know who you are seem to flourish? To have happiness. To have things. Why is it like that? The psalmist continues in verse 6, Therefore their pride is their necklace, the garment of violence covers them, their eyes bulges from fatness, the imagination of their hearts run riot. I mean, these are the wicked people. These are the God-haters. These are the ones that don't know God, that don't know who the Lord is, nor do they care to know who the Lord is. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. That's another version of speaking in arrogance. They have set their mouths against the heavens. Their tongue parades through the earth. They walk with impunity. They, they walk without, with, without any judgment coming upon them. Therefore, his people return to their place and the waters of abundance are drunk by them. They say, how does God know? And is there knowledge with the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They have increased in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. The psalmist is speaking just like these priests are actually doing. I look out upon the city and I see the wicked and the evil prospering and growing and joyfully seeking in life. And and I am seeking the Lord and I seem to be persecuted and downtrodden and what good is it for me? The Lord is pointing out the to them, to the priests, the wickedness in their thinking themselves. Our priest in Psalm 73 continues. Verse 14, he says, I've been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. In verse 15, if I had said I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. Now this priest is different than the ones we speak of in Malachi. He says, had I let my thoughts and my actions go out into those who are following you, Lord, I would have betrayed them. My thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do or what you have done for me is what's going to happen here. It says, when I pondered and understood this, it was troublesome in my sight. And his solution was, until I came into the sanctuary of God, then I perceived their end. Surely you set them in slippery places, you cast them down into destruction. This priest in 73, unlike our priest in in Malachi, this priest in 73 has gone to the Lord, has prayed to the Lord about what he sees and perceives is happening. And he knows, because the words of the Lord is true, the Lord says what will happen to the wicked, to the arrogant, to the unrighteous. His thinking is wrong, and he knows he must seek the Lord. He goes to the temple, this is where he seeks the Lord at. 
This is where he perceives and says, yes, the Lord has spoken in his word. Remember way back in the uh, way back in the in the introduction here, we believe that God's word is infallible and inerrant and all that it teaches, right? These priests in Malachi are caught in their own thoughts. They see the, the wicked prospering, they say there must be no God. The psalmist in, in 73 says, The wicked are prospering. I must go to God and find out what the answer is. Oh, I see that their gracious blessings are only occurred for now, that they are in slippery slopes, that they will fall into the pit if they don't mend their ways, that they, they have an eternity that is standing before them. They are living for this little tiny piece right here, but there is an eternity that is laying before them, and it will be either spent in heaven or hell. Oh God, thank you for, for, for telling me this, God, is what the psalmist in 73 is saying. And in Malachi, what God is saying, you priests, you better get on board with this. You must, 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 must understand how slippery the, space, the place is where you are standing. Where you're at right now by saying, as they say there, they, they, they are saying, it is vain to serve the Lord. We have walked around in mourning like we are mourning over our own sinfulness, but we don't care. And then in 15, so now we call the arrogant blessed. Not only are they doer, the doers of wickedness build up, but they also test God and escape. The, the Lord is pointing this out to them, that this wrong thinking of yours, these strong words against me, this arrogance of which you speak, you are standing on that slippery slope. You will be held accountable for this thinking. You must come back. You must repent and turn back towards me. Because right now, you're acting like you don't know the Lord. You don't know who I am, even though you have, for them, the scrolls that tell them all about what God has done up until this point. And God has graciously provided them with the prophet Malachi to point out the errors of their ways. It is a call to repentance for them. It is a call for them to come back. So those were the lost in those first three verses. The ones that don't know the Lord. The ones that should know the Lord. The disobedient ones. Now we start in our Second scene. Titled in my Bible is the book of remembrance. Verse 16. Now, the prophet has given the word of the Lord against the arrogant, the priests, and then those who follow the priests and believe how the priests are acting is the right way to act before the Lord who are acting like they don't even know who God is. And then it says in verse 16, then those who feared the Lord, those who revered the Lord, those who knew the Lord, those who trusted in the Lord, those who looked upon the arrogant and saw themselves and say, those arrogant that are out there, those wicked who are seemingly prospering are on a slippery slope that is leading them right into the pit of hell for eternity. Because I trust in the Lord. The Lord has always come through in His promises. What the Lord says comes to pass will come to pass. We can almost think back to maybe hold our, put our thumbs in the Bible way back in Genesis. And we think to ourselves about that covenant that the Lord made with Abraham. We think about that smoking fire pot that passed between the, the, the halved pieces of the animals. We think about the dreadful darkness that came over Abram 
as God made the covenant, as God said that He would make His descendants like, like the stars in heaven, like the, like the sands on the earth. And I want you to think about that dreadful sleep for a second. Who was active in that covenant and who was asleep during the covenant? God was active. God was doing everything. God was bringing it about. It wasn't because of Abraham's actions that he would be blessed. It was because God chose to bless. It was because God did the work. It was because God set the covenant forth. God completed the covenant. God does this work. It wasn't Moses that saved the Israelites from the slavery to the Egyptians. It was God who did it. It was God who brought the plagues about. It was God who parted the sea. It was God who graciously gave them the commandments after He saved them. It was God who gave them the ways to be obedient and said, if you are obedient to Me, this is the best way to live. You will live rightly when you live in this way that I described to you. Yes, it might be hard against the, in, the, in the culture in which you live, but this is the way to live and this is the best way for you. It is those who fear the Lord here in the first part of 16. The ones who know that His promises and His covenants are true and that He will keep them. Whereas men consistently fail at keeping their promises and their covenants, God never fails. They know that the Lord will come through. They know that what their eyes perceive about the wicked thriving is just a lie. Because they know that the wicked and the evil and the God-haters and those who don't know God will eventually stand before their judge and will have to give an account for their lives. Their lives of arrogance, of pride, of violence, of lying. That they have no Savior. It says, then those who feared the Lord, those who revered the Lord, spoke to one another. They spoke amongst each other about the Lord. And the Lord gave attention and heard it. He heard that they were speaking about Him. He knew that they feared Him. He knew that they revered Him. He knew that they loved the Lord. He heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before Him for those who fear the Lord and esteem His name. If you had a MacArthur Study Bible that is there, if you had one in your hand right now, which I know some of you do, you would see down there that it would write about how in the ancient Persian cultures that they would write the deeds of people in books. That this is a known thing to do. What's interesting here is this book of remembrance of those who fear the Lord, who revere the Lord, is written down. Yet those names are already recorded in the Lamb's book of life since before the foundation of the world. That those who know the Lord are already known by the Lord. That these aren't those that have hardened hearts. That these are the ones that have the right thinking about the Lord, although it might be slightly imperfect. We don't think perfectly about the Lord at all times. These are the ones that are joyful in knowing the Lord. These are the ones who Elijah in 1 Kings 19 didn't believe existed. Remember Elijah? 
mocking the gods of Baal, mocking the priests who worship Baal, with the constantly uh, the challenge before them. You guys go ahead first. You call upon your God. Maybe he's out traveling. Maybe he's in the bathroom is really what it says. Uh, your God, Baal, is maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he's just busy at the moment. Uh, that's what it would say in the Hebrew. And then God shows up and consumes all the altar. The, the, the altar that, is, that has been soaked in water, right? That, is, that shouldn't burn. And not only does all the wood and the offering burn up, but also the rocks themselves burn up. And Elijah then slaughters the, 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 the false priests that worship Baal. Big victory. But as soon as Jezebel says she wants his head on a platter, he runs. He discharges his, uh, his helper, his ward that is there, indicating that he's out of the prophet business. I don't need this guy anymore. I'm, I'm out of here. I'm done. Uh, we see forms of depression that, uh, that Elijah has. Uh, we see that he has wrong thinking about God. When God finally answers Elijah, after he has miraculously provided food for him, I encourage you to look at 1 Kings 19. It is a fascinating story. Uh, when God finally comes, Elijah says, I was the only one. I'm the only one left. I'm the only one who fears you, God. Then God graciously points out to him and says, no, you're not. There's still 7,000. You think you're the only one? There's 7,000 that have not bent their knee to Baal. You see, you're thinking wrongly about me. These is that remnant here in 16. Or, 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 or I shouldn't say not the remnant from Elijah, but they are a remnant of those who fear the Lord. The ones that aren't following the poor offerings. The ones that aren't following the poor tithing. The ones that aren't, aren't giving the lame and the blind. These are the ones that fear the Lord and know the Lord. right? These are the elect. These are the ones that have been chosen before the foundation of the earth. The ones from Ephesians 1. Let's turn there. Ephesians 1. It says in Ephesians 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, verse 5, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will. The ones that know God, the ones that are known by God, the ones that fear the Lord. The ones that have recorded their names in a book that said, we fear the Lord. And the ones that are known by God in the Lamb's book of life. These are the ones that know the Lord. And what does it say in verse 17? They will be mine. The Lord says, they, Yahweh says, they will be mine. These who fear me and revere me will be mine. These who know me and love me will be mine. <clears throat> not because of their perfection, but because of my love for them. Because of what I have done for them. Because of the graciousness I have given to them. Exodus 19.5 Exodus 19.5 Nothing they shouldn't already know. 
nothing that they shouldn't know had they paid attention. It says there, now then, if you will indeed obey my voice, voice of the Lord, if you obey what I say and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. The set-apartness of Israel. If they were just to know this, instead of speaking, the priests, instead of speaking arrogantly against God, it says it clearly, you will be mine. Follow my ordinances. They're the best thing for you. Know my covenant. It's the greatest thing for you. To know what I've done and what I will continue to do for you. Keep it and be mine. It is their obedience that demonstrates their salvation. And it is our obedience that demonstrates our salvation too. Notice how he said it isn't the obedience that gives us our salvation. It demonstrates what we believe. Obedience to what God has called them to do, obedience to what God has called us to do, demonstrates what we believe. It demonstrates whether or not we know the Lord. You look at uh, Isaiah 4.2 at some point in time. I'm not going to do it here in this message. But I do have it in my notes. So we know that those... Of the, uh, those of the elect, those that have been chosen by God, those whose names are in the Lamb's book of life, none will be lost. John 6.39. John 6.39. For this is the will of Him who sent me, so this is the will of the Father who sent the Son, that of all that He, that the Father has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Those that believe in the Son have eternal life. There is no losing your salvation. It says right there, you believe in the Son, you have eternal life. You can't have partial life if it says you have eternal life by believing in the Son. You can't lose your salvation if it says by definition eternal is eternal. And if we go back to those Ephesians passages, it says that is by God has the one who has chosen us, not we have chosen Him. Those here in this book of remembrance, these ones that are His, are also saved by Jesus Himself. Romans tells us that in Romans 3 that their sins were left unpunished for this period of time until the time that the Son would come and that they would be satisfied the sins that they did. These are the people here, these ones that fear, that are looking forward to the time of the Messiah coming. They're looking forward to the Promised One. They heard that about coming suddenly into the temple and they were hoping that it occurs during their time. There's the ones that trust in the promises of God that He will come through because He has always come through. Not in their desired time frame, but in His time frame for His glory. But verse 17 of Malachi chapter 3, They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On the day I, I prepare my own possession and I will spare them as a man 
spares His own Son who serves Him. We are adopted into that family as Christ followers. Just like them. We are seen as sons and daughters of the God Most High. He will not allow us to suffer the punishment of damnation because we are found in Him. This is where they are at. This is the ones who fear and revere the Lord. In 18 it says, So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve Him. You will see those who are found and those who are lost. You will know the difference between those. You will be able to identify them. You will see that the righteous are the ones who seek the Lord. You will know that the wicked are the ones that who deny the Lord. You will know that the wicked are the ones who, who, who see all that is going on in the world all the evil that is going on in the world and say, I wish I was like that. Give me more. And you'll see the righteous as the ones who, who suffer daily in their minds seeing all that is going on in the world. All that is not right. And they pray that the Lord would save those that are unsaved. You see, we serve the Lord imperfectly. We don't serve the Lord perfectly. It's... We have sin around us and in us at all times. But one of the keys is, is that we serve the Lord. That we are obedient towards the Lord. Even if we are imperfectly obedient towards the Lord, we trust in the Savior that has come for us. We do the works that have been prepared ahead of time for us to do through our Savior. Ephesians 2.10 These verses in verse 18 are those who know the Lord and those who do not know the Lord. We would, we would say it's the difference between the transformed and those who are not transformed. You see, if you haven't had a transformation in your life, I doubt that you are saved. If you haven't had a change in your life in knowing the Lord, I doubt that your name is in the Lamb's book of life. You must be transformed. You can't be the old you. You have to be a new you. It says you are reborn. You must be born again. People that say, that, well, I was born this way. And Jesus says you must be born again. The way you were born is no good. You must be born again in me. You must have a new heart. That hardness must be taken away. You must allow my words to, to take root in that heart. You must be transformed to be saved. These three verses here talk about those who have been transformed. Those who look with great reverence and fear upon the Lord and know that He is the one they must answer to. Nobody around them. Their fear is rightly placed, not wrongly placed. To fear man is to be an idolater. To fear God is to have right thinking. Think about Matthew 25. I mean, verse 18 of Malachi is just such a good, good example of this. I mean, he says it in short words where Matthew uses a number of other ones. In Matthew 25, somewhere around verse 31, but when the Son of Man comes, <coughs> excuse me, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, 
Then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Spoiler here, the sheep are the good ones, the goats are the bad ones. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Again, a passage of election prepared since the beginning. Since before the foundations, right? He said, For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? Ah, to be this way, to be a believer, where you do it without even thinking about it. It wasn't doing it to gain something. It was doing it because it's the transformed person. Verse 38, And when do we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked or clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The King will answer. King Jesus will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Verse 41, Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. And they themselves will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them. The king will answer them. Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment for the righteous into the eternal life. The example of those who know God and those who don't. The sheep who know God, the, 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 the unrighteous, the wicked who don't know the Lord. The arrogant and the blasphemers who don't know the Lord, who go about seeking their own pride in their lives and for their own ill-gotten gain. And those who can serve without even thinking about it. Those who don't serve because it gained them salvation, but those who serve because they have salvation. And then we get to the third part of our story, the end. So we had the lost, we just had the found, and now we have the end. Verse 4, chapter 4, verse 1 of Malachi. Behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace. And all the arrogant and every evildoer would be chaff. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Jesus just talked about it in the sheep and the goats about what is is going to happen there. Those who deny the Lord, the Father, the priests here found will be the ones found in the fire. Will be found burned up in the furnace. Will be consumed by that. Will be consumed for an eternity by that fire. The ones who should know the Lord will be consumed here. Jesus Himself speaks more about hell than any other single thing. God is giving them the warning here in Malachi, and Jesus gives the warning continually too. Continually. Don't be found in this fire. The arrogant and the evildoer will be there. 
Don't look at the arrogant evildoers and think that they will survive. To think that they're on good footing. To think that they're not on a slippery slope. To think that they're not going to be punished. To think that judgment isn't coming. 2 Peter 3.7 But by His Word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment in destruction of ungodly men. (laughs) The ungodly are the, uh, the arrogant, the evildoers, the prideful, the ones who don't fear the Lord. Like all of us, before we are transformed. You must be born again. The fire, as it says in Isaiah 5.24, is the fire will consume those who do not know the Lord. So the question I ask then for you is, do you know the Lord? Does the Lord know you? You see, because if you do know the Lord, verse 2 of chapter 4 of Malachi it's just such an awesome verse. But for, the, for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in, his, in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from, a stall, from the stall. If we walk it the whole way back to the priest who spoke arrogantly against God, who said it was in vain to serve the Lord, they're not here in verse 2. The ones who are whose names are written in the book of remembrance, that fear the name of the Lord. And look at what it says, skip about like calves from the stall. The idea that a calf that is in a small stall back at this time, maybe in a dark place when he's finally released from that tomb-like enclosure, all he can do is jump about in the sunshine. He is so glad to be free of his imprisonment that he just jumps about and skips about and runs about. Seemingly out of control because of the joyful happiness. This is the picture that we're getting here. The illustration that we have. That they can't believe I'm free at last from this this cage that I was in. This this trap that I was in and I'm free. It is saying here, the Lord's saying, those who fear Me, who revere My name, who, who trust in My promises, are like these calves. They have been freed from the imprisonment that will sink them into hell. They will experience not only the S-U-N of righteousness, but the S-O-N of righteousness. The Son of righteousness will be theirs. They will see the glory in my day when I come. They will stand in heaven and know that I am the Lord. The ones who fear me now. They will stand before the throne and watch their sins all taken away. And they will skip about like calves from the stall when that day comes. That they will know a joy unlike any that anyone of us has ever known to have all those sins taken away and gone forevermore from us. And we could just picture, I just have this picture in my mind of this calf with with those, uh, those knobby knees that they have and their unsteady gait of just, you know, just released and jumping around. But that's us who are found in the Lord, who know the Lord, who are forgiven in the Lord, whose sins will be taken away in the Lord. That's what our day will be like. 
When we see the Son in all His glory. When we know our Savior, and it is no longer hope that we're in. When all that's left is love, because we will see Him in His gloriousness. That is what it will be like there. And then in verse 3 it says, For they, those are like those calves that are freed from the bondage, will tread down the wicked. That the wicked will not be freed. That the wicked will be fully judged. That they will suffer the judgment. For they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. Like nothing. Like they never existed. Gone forever from your mind. On the day which you are preparing, the ones who have wrongly imprisoned people will be judged. The ones who have, if you're not found in the Lord, if you're not forgiven, the ones who deny the Lord, this is where they're going to be at. Like the ashes. Just dust. See, way back in the beginning when we talked about the lost, the priests were the lost there. It is vain to serve the Lord. In the second part of the sermon, the ones who feared the Lord were the ones that knew it wasn't vain to serve the Lord, that it was the best thing for them to do. Their salvation found in the Lord. You certainly do not want to be those that are found in the winepress of the Lord in Revelations 14.20. Know that that day is being prepared. Know that like it says in Jude, verses 22 and 23, that we, having been saved ourselves, like it was mentioned in Sunday school class today, we should seek to save those others as if snatching people out of the fire to tell them about their Savior. To tell them about the Savior who has saved you. You see, there will be no hope for the wicked in that last day. The only hope is found in Christ. Those who know who the Lord is. That's what's important. So these are the consequences of the saved and the unsaved. One skips about like a calf who is free and joyful in the bright sunshine. And the others will be cast into eternal darkness and burning. I know where I want to be. And we can be confident, found in the Lord, that we will be there. Because it says you believe in the Lord, you have eternal life. That the Lord will not lose any that are given to Him. Not a one. You can't get out of His hand. Those who revere the name of the Lord. Those who know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Those whose obedience demonstrates their salvation. Those who transform lives demonstrate who they know. We can either be like the priests or those whose names are found in that book of remembrance. I can tell you that to be found in the sheepfold is the place where you want to be. To hear the shepherd's voice in the Scripture. When we read the Scripture and we hear Jesus talking, we hear Jesus telling us what it is to follow Him. We turn to Ephesians 5, verse 8. Starting. Actually, let's start in 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. It wasn't even part of my notes, but my goodness, this is what the priests themselves are doing in Malachi. Empty words. They don't believe. 
They don't fear the Lord. And seven, therefore do not be partakers with them. Avoid for these people with the empty words. Those who don't know the Lord. And eight, for you were formerly of darkness. And I weigh in my words. But you have been transformed. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Those are the things that we desire. As a transformed person, this is what we desire. Oh yes, we will covet things and be jealous over things. But we repent and turn back to the Lord. And we want to be like that priest who was speaking in Psalm 73. And we want to go into the temple of the Lord. The temple where the the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We want to be guided in truth that is in His Word. We, when we recognize that we are doing that, our envious nature is like that. We want to go before Him and we want to say, Lord, instruct me rightly. Tell me, show me in Your Word. Show me what it's like. I want to be that calf that's skipping out of the stall. I don't want to be trod down like the ashes and eternally consumed. I want to live in the light. I'm going to seek the things that are of truth and righteousness. And then verse 10, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the untruthful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. Ah, that we would live lives that could stand up to the light. That we desire that our sin and our lives be exposed and we kill it. That we desire the righteousness that the Lord has. That we would seek our own sanctification. That we would seek to be more holy. Not to gain salvation, but because our obedience demonstrates our salvation. Our transformation. That we are better tomorrow than we were today. That we are live a life of repentance consistently. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the Scripture. Thank You for the prophet Malachi. Thank You for the instruction that is given us. Please help us to understand the words that are spoken here. Please, that we would not live a life that is downtrodden, that we would look with envy upon the world and say, oh, I wish I had more and more of that, but to know that we have everything we possibly can have in You, Lord, in You, Jesus. That the Holy Spirit dwelling within us testifies to You, Lord, all the time, that You would sanctify us in truth, the truth that is in Your Word, that we would know more and more so we can be like that calf skipping out of the stall, so that we long for that day when we are free from the sin that besets us now. Please continue to be with us throughout this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.